This is KBLA Talk 1580, where hate loses and love wins. I'm Tabby Smiley. We're glad to have you in with us in this first hour today on KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. A lot going on, in case you've just tuned in. As we said earlier, in our second hour, we'll go straight to, uh, to the East Coast and track uh, the Donald Trump saga today. He is uh, in New York now, and I was literally just looking at his schedule uh, of movement for the next couple of hours uh, in the city as he makes his way to the DA's office and then into the courtroom for the arraignment. A historic day, first time ever. A president, former president, uh, twice impeached, uh, indicted, and now today uh, arraigned, uh, fingerprinted, perhaps a mugshot. Uh, it's 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 quite a moment uh, that many predicted a long time ago that Donald Trump would eventually get himself in this kind of trouble, being as reckless as he has been. So we're tracking that. We'll get to that in hour two with Chris Lehman and in hour three, uh, Michael Eric Dyson, as we commemorate today the 55th anniversary of the assassination uh, of Dr. King. What a day it is um, in America. Uh, now, though, we're pleased to be joined in conversation. Uh, by Dr. Nika White. After being inspired to commit uh, resources to promoting uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion three years ago following the murder uh, of George Floyd, there's now a declining wave of DE uh, and I uh, in companies uh, as they continue to phase out DE and I leaders at a, an alarmingly high rate. And as I said earlier, take a guess as to who's being impacted by this. You guessed it, ding, 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 black workers. Uh, award-winning DE&I professional, Dr. Nika White, author of the new book, Inclusion Uncomplicated, a transformative guide to simplify DEI, joins us for a conversation now about what's happening inside of corporate America after these promises they made just a few years ago. Dr. White, how are you today? I am doing very well. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing well. If I complain, I'd be an ingrate. I'm delighted to, to, to have you on. Um, let me just jump right in, watching uh, the time we have here between now and the top of the hour. Uh, the broad question first, what's happening in corporate America? They made all these promises just three years ago, and now they are apparently doing a 180. Why? Tavis, that is precisely what's happening right now. You know, I believe that because the murder of George Floyd was so visible, it was so hard, it certainly was jarring, and it created this groundswell of support around many organizational leaders who determined that we can no longer sit on the sidelines, we have to do something. And that something ended up being um, designating a person that is experienced in this area of equity and inclusion to help the organization deepen its commitment, and not only just, you know, theory, but also in practice. And so I know that many DEI practitioners, including myself, were really um, optimistic about the, um, the, the shift and the motivation that it seemed like so many organizations had. Um, and now, you know, a couple of years later, we're really disheartened. We're disheartened because the endurance factor that we were anticipating um, the murder of George Floyd would have created, it, it's, it's, it's no longer. It hasn't been sustained. And in fact, there's been a lot of adverse effects where organizations are being criticized for the performative nature in which they have engaged in this equity work. So what, what's behind the 180 specifically? Well, I think it's that organizations are finding it um, hard to be able to commit to the long haul of the work, um, probably because they haven't valued it to the level in which they should, mm -hmm. um, especially when we consider the economic um, downturn that many organizations are bracing themselves for, or even in the midst of right now. 
Um, but I think that they are misguided because they are not considering that part of how they're going to be able to survive the economic downturn is if they remain committed to allowing everyone to feel a sense of belonging and to be able to have full opportunity for success. And so the culture and the workplaces of, of these organizations are being compromised, and I think they're going to soon um, see that. Mm -hmm. When you say that they are not committed to the work, uh, let's unpack that for a second. Uh, tell me about the sure. work. Tell me about the work. If you are a company X, Y, or Z, and after George Floyd, you committed to do better by D, E, and I, and, and now we see you doing a 180 because you've not really truly been committed to the work, what does that mean? What, what, what are they abandoning? What are, what are they not engaging? Well, I think that a lot of organizations are taking a surface approach. And so, again, they are checking boxes. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, it's hard to have a stick-to-itness factor, that endurance piece that I was talking about before. You have to really look at systems, policies, procedures, and culture in order for you to be able to create impact. Right now, what we're seeing is a lot of activity, right? And activity has start and end date. Impact is where we really are able to drive and sustain the work. I think, additionally, we have organizations that are not being very um, strategic about creating the right environment for DEI to really be fully infiltrated throughout all areas of operations. It's being seen as maybe a separate initiative or program where it's not very well resourced and it's seen as the sole responsibility of maybe the one to two people that carry the title um, of chief diversity officer, manager, director, whatever the titles are, instead of it being something that really is owned by all areas, all leaders throughout the organization. Because this work does belong to all of us. And, um, and I think that with that mindset, it is hard for organizations to really get behind seeing the results because they're looking for something to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're giving a half effort, then a half effort is what you're going to receive on the back end. And that half effort is causing people to then question and criticize whether or not DEI is even viable, whether or not it's relevant. Yeah. Um, some see it as a distraction. And so I think there's a mindset shift that needs to occur as well. So, excuse me, to your point, some do see it as a distraction. Let me let me just um, push back on that. Not that you need me to do this, <clears throat> but some see it as a distraction. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's hard for me to, again, wrap my brain around the fact that they could in this moment see it as a distraction for the following two reasons. Number one, as you well know, we now live in the most multicultural, multiracial, multiethnic America ever. That's exhibit A. Absolutely. Exhibit B is that we all know we're pushing toward that day in the not too distant future when for the first time ever, America will be a majority minority country. Mm -hmm. So that's on the horizon yeah. as well. So the, and, and in the context of that, you see these companies pulling away from D, E and I, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. So here's my question. What ultimately are companies risking, given those first two data points, what are companies risking by abandoning in this moment their commitment to DE&I? Well, first and foremost, they're risking a workforce. You know, when we talk about the global majority and what that looks like and mm -hmm. starting to shift and evolve, they're missing the workforce. These are individuals that are, are going to be um, their leaders in their organizations to help, you know, create that level of innovation that's needed, that ingenuity to help them to be differentiated from others. And so, you know, a lot of people I know will talk about the, the business case, the business imperative. And yes, that is important. And I do think that we need to make sure we're mindful to bring that to the conversation, especially when we're talking to particular leaders where that is how we're going to get their attention. Mm -hmm. But then I also think that we need to focus on just the humanity aspect of it. The bottom line is that no one can show up at their best in any environment if they're always questioning whether or not they belong. 
Do I belong here? Am I seen? Am I valued? Am I heard? Do I have full opportunity for success? So when we take that and we consider the individuals that make up our organizations, then we are not optimizing our output because Mm -hmm. if people can't show up at their best, then they're not giving their best. And so the whole organization then is compromised. And so that's what I think people need to be considering mm-hmm. is how are we positioning ourselves and our environment and organizations to make sure that everyone can show up at their best. Yeah. So that's the risk. Let me move now to talk about the harm. Uh, specifically, mm-hmm. who is being harmed uh, uh, inside these companies or, for that matter, outside? Who's being harmed yeah. uh, by this um, increasing um, uh, lack of commitment uh, to Uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion? So I'm going to say everyone. That's Mm -hmm. where I'm going to start, but the broad answer of everyone. And the reason why is because this work of equity and inclusion, there's no zero-sum game. Everyone benefits when we are committed to it. Now, I'm going to now answer the question from a standpoint of what are the populations? What are those identities that oftentimes find themselves most compromised within these environments that are not really committed to inclusion and equity? And those are individuals that are part of marginalized communities, mm-hmm. people of color, people that are part of the LGBTQ plus community. And so when we not, when we aren't centered on really helping to equip the most marginalized with the support that they need, then ultimately all of us suffer. And I don't think that that's a conversation that's being had enough right now. A lot of cis white men perceive, who are the ones, of course, who are in positions of power and influence in most organizations today, but they sometimes perceive that in order for marginalized identities to be able to have opportunity, that someone else has to lose. Mm. And in their minds, who are are the people that are losing are people that look like them instead of seeing that we all are able to come up. You know, rising tide lifts all boats. And so I think it's critically important for us to make sure that we're reframing, you know, where we need to to help people to understand that and not just see it as, you know, we're going to lose because we're allowing opportunities for others who don't look like us to win. When we come forward, I want to talk more about that reframing, number one. I want to talk, number two, about how we hold these companies accountable for abandoning the commitments they made literally just three years ago and some more with Dr. Nika White, author of the book, Inclusion Uncomplicated, the transformative guide to simplify DE&I. You're listening to Dr. White right now on KBLA Talk 1580. Dr. Nika White, you wrote the book, uh, Inclusion Uncomplicated, a transformative guide to simplify DEI. So, so tell me how, uh, to your point about reframing, how do we go about getting corporate leaders to rethink, to reframe their uh, belief systems or lack thereof about the value uh, of corrective programs like DEI? So, Tavis, I think that the first thing is we have to make sure those leaders are seeing the work of DEI as an opportunity and not an obligation. Mm-hmm. I think right now a lot of leaders arrive to the conversation thinking, what can we do to help support DEI versus what can DEI do to help make us better, to help us to be a higher-performing organization, to help us to be on the cutting edge of all of the great innovation. And, and I think that's a really important shift that has to occur. Secondly, I think that we are so used to hearing that diversity in and of itself is what creates all of the value that we read about in research, but we need to make sure we are educating appropriately on that because it's not just diversity in and of itself. It is appropriate management of diversity. So what are you doing to make sure that the culture and the environment is allowing for difference? to be something that people celebrate and see as a value add instead of something that is um, compromising, right? 
I think that the reason sometimes a lot of the division takes place in organizations is how in which we think about difference or diversity. We classify it as right, wrong, good, or bad instead of just difference. So that's another reframe that I think is critically important. And um, I really, through the book, Inclusion Uncomplicated, my goal was to help unpack some of the complexities around this work. Mm-hmm. I think that is a barrier because it keeps so many leaders on the sideline because of how daunting it feels. It's, it's not an easy um, entry point, if you will. So if we can help provide that level of understanding to where the work can become a bit more practical for people, I think that's an opportunity for us to get more engaged. Yeah. You mentioned a moment ago, and I love the phrase, uh, I love the frame, that they have to see this as an opportunity, not an obligation. Um, yeah. Let, let me ask point blank whether or not you saw this moment coming. And here's what I mean by that. As one who is in a, in a media space, a black-owned media space, uh, I knew it was just mm-hmm. a matter of time that all these companies who promised they were going to do better by supporting black-owned businesses would eventually fall by the wayside. And I said to my colleagues in the industry, you know, a a couple of years ago, we have to find a way now to make sure that we can hold these companies accountable. There ought to be some reckoning for all these companies. Somebody ought to have all these companies in a database. We need to, you know, we need to come together and and hire a couple of interns if we do, if we need to, just to track everything that these companies are saying they are going to do after the murder of George Floyd. And hold them accountable two, three, four years down the road when I can assure you they're going to do a 180 and disappear and forget the commitments that they made. Mm-hmm. So I saw this coming in the black advertising space. All, again, all these commitments, we're going to mm. do better by supporting black-owned media. It ain't happened. So Byron Allen, people mm. know, is running around suing everybody trying to get his. That's, By- that's Byron's <laughs> approach, and I am mad at Byron, knowing well and ain't mad at him. But Byron is doing that because he's sick of all these people who made these commitments three years ago to support black-owned media, and they ain't stepping up. So Byron saw it coming. Yeah. I saw it coming. With regard to DE&I, did you see the retrenchment on their commitment coming? You know, I think that um, for me, I was I was really hopeful. It's mm-hmm. not to say that I was naive, but I was really hopeful sure, because sure, sure. I do believe that hope is so important. You know, Steve Bryanson talk about this all the time. We have to have hope, mm-hmm. otherwise, it will cause us to to quit even before we can see any type of of, of improvement. But um, you know, the problem at one point was that people weren't even having the conversations. They didn't even see it as, especially from a corporate America perspective. They didn't even see it as something that was in their lane, right? I'm not in the social justice space. Let's let the social justice organizations deal with that. Mm-hmm. So I have to say, I think that part of that hope that many of us felt was because we were now seeing leaders that were influenced by what took place to the point to where they were then a part of the conversation. Right. Now you're right. Fast forward a couple of years later. Did it pan out the way that many of us had hoped for? No. Um, Is accountability a really big piece of helping us to get there? Absolutely. It's not just about the measurement. It's also about the accountability. Let's close on that note. When we come forward, uh, I want to go there anyway. So you are both uh, prescient and prophetic. (laughs) And so I'll follow you in a moment. Uh, We'll we'll tackle that that final question in this conversation with Dr. Nika White. Her book is called Inclusion Uncomplicated, A Transformative Guide to Simplify DE&I. And we will address that issue of how we hold hold these companies accountable who are now abandoning their commitment to DE&I. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Conversations that matter. matter. You're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. This is indeed a conversation that matters, and I've been delighted to have it uh, for the better part of this half hour. Dr. Nika White, who's the author of the book, 
Inclusion Uncomplicated, a transformative guide to simplify DEI. Uh, we've got about uh, two and a half minutes left in this conversation. Dr. White, I'll give it to you. How then, in this moment, were all these companies who made these commitments three years ago after the murder of George Floyd to do better by diversity, equity, and inclusion? They're now abandoning their commitments. Uh, black folk in the workplace are being harmed and other people of color, as you mentioned, being harmed uh, by uh, this abandonment. How do we hold these companies accountable? Can we? I think we can. I think it starts first with recognizing that when organizations make public statements of regarding their commitments, then they are, in essence, inviting public accountability. So when we think about the word public, we have to really dissect that. Who are we talking about um, prescriptively? I think there are multiple audiences, one of which are the consumers, the ones who are on the receiving end of their products and their services. How are we calling in the behaviors that are contrary to what they have publicly stated they are committed to. And then I also think about employees, and we're seeing this now. Many individuals are leaving organizations because of the harm, because of the toxicity, and because of the lack of commitment to their well-being, particularly as individuals that are part of marginalized communities. And so employees, with their walking out, with their leaving and transitioning, are certainly holding organizations accountable. But then I also think that the ultimate responsibility rest with a lot of these board of directors. And so some of us could question where if the board of directors aren't also aligned around the philosophy and the value sets of equity and inclusion, how can they hold an organization accountable? Mm. And therein lies the opportunity and the problem that we have to solve for. We need to make sure we're continuing to push the agenda around what do these boards look like? What do they care about? How are they representing the broader um, interests? Of, of those who often aren't at the table. And I think that when we consider mm -hmm. governing bodies, such as board of directors, that's where the impact can really begin to take shape in a way that allows for equity, inclusion, and belonging. As we all know, uh, the old adage, if, you, if you're not at the table, you're likely on the menu. So you need, yeah. to be, <laughs> you need to be at the table. The book is called Inclusion Uncomplicated, A Transformative Guide to Simplify DEI. It's authored by uh, DEI expert, Dr. Nika White, who I've been honored to have on this program, although under uh, strange and bizarre circumstances, given that these folks said they were, <laughs> were going to do one thing and not a lion. Uh, but I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate the book, Inclusion Uncomplicated. Good to have you on, Dr. White. All the best to you. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. My great delight to have you on. As we move to hour two after news, traffic and sports, uh, we're just an hour or so away on the East Coast from Donald Trump showing up for his arraignment. We will walk you through the movement that's about to happen uh, in Manhattan, literally just an hour from now, and uh, unpack a great deal more about this arraignment and some other topics perhaps we'll get to. We shall see. But this is the story of the day, the arraignment of the first former president ever. Already twice impeached, Donald Trump about to be arraigned in Manhattan. We'll be joined by Chris Lehman of The Nation magazine when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580.